0: Hi, I'm Adrian Pasquarelli, the retail reporter at Ad Age, and welcome to another edition of the Marketers Brief Podcast, our weekly discussion about marketing news and trends that have the industry buzzing. On today's episode, I'll be talking to Scott Tannen, founder and CEO of Boll Branch, a direct-to-consumer betting brand that has built its model on sustainability. The company just raised $100 million from a private equity firm and plans to accelerate its growth by opening more locations and expanding its message of positive social impact by way of a truly sustainable textile supply chain. Now, here's my conversation with Scott. Hey, Scott. Thanks for being here. Glad to be here. So tell me about Bolin Branch. When you first founded the brand, what were you trying to accomplish?
1: Our, our goal initially was pretty simple we were just trying to make the product that we couldn't find in the marketplace um, and and you know as as a lot of businesses go and and entrepreneurial ventures at some point you feel that you have an opportunity to maybe start creating the kind of world that you want to live in and and for us as we started you know going beyond just how do we make a great set of sheets to understanding, really how bedding and bedsheets were made, we we felt that there was an opportunity to do it better, not only to give more value to the customer, but to do it in a way that that sort of righted a lot of the wrongs of the textile industry.
0: So you guys are now certified by Fairtrade USA. It's a different bedding brand than, than what we've seen before, right?
1: It is. We were actually the first uh, bedding brand to bring in Fair Fairtrade. Um, and it's important to us to, to, and it's important to understand that you know, t- the textile industry, it doesn't have a great reputation. And, and really, ver- it's a very, very small number of large scale manufacturing partners that are making most bedding products you find in retail stores all over the country and all over the world, um, which is why it's so difficult to walk into one store and another store and really understand what the difference is between product A and product B. Um, I think the one thing most of us tend to think about when we, when we try to find the best bed sheet is what's the highest thread count? And, and as you dig in, you realize that, you know, thread count is more of a ma- measure of how dense and how thick the fabric is. It really has nothing to do with how, how comfortable or how soft the, the product's going to be. That boils down to the quality of the material. Um, so we saw an opportunity to massively upgrade uh, the the quality of the material at an approachable price point. Um, what we found is there were great sheets out there, but they cost 1200, $1,500 a set and were made by, you know, quasi designer labels. So you were paying for the brand much more so than paying for the quality. Um, so we went and built a supply chain based on the very, very best quality cotton we could find, which is a hundred percent organic long staple cotton. Um, and, and from there, as we built out our supply chain and, and built out our manufacturing, we suddenly realized that not only could we pass the, the savings on to the customer by selling directly online, um, but we were able to build such an efficient supply chain that our cost of goods enabled us to also be, you know, more profitable and, and, and at, at a price point that we're not gouging the customer. And, and I think that was the, the magic formula that just made it all work.
0: It really does seem like a magic formula because you talk a lot about value, but it feels like it's always going to be more expensive to be sustainable and use the most highest quality materials.
1: You would think that. But but what's incredible is you know we all think about cutting out the middleman, I think, has become sort of a, a, a staple comment in DTC, which, yeah. which really <laughs> means, you know... What that really means is, okay, I'm wholesaling it to a customer. So instead of selling it to, you know, a big department store and then them taking a markup, we're, we're just cutting that link in the chain out. So that way, you know, the customer is paying what the store would pay. And so in and of itself, that's that's a great way to give more value to the customer. What we found is there's way more middlemen that sit on the back end of the supply chain. So, you know, cotton farmers are not selling their products right to the factory. A local farmer might be selling it to a middleman agent who then sends it to a regional agent and sells it then to, you know, a large multinational buying corporation that then sells it on to the factory and so on and so forth. So for us, what we realized is that we could go directly to the cotton farmers um, and acquire the cotton. And that enabled us to do two things. Number one, it enabled us to, to find and reward farmers that are doing things the right way and incentivizing more farmers to um, to realize that you can create a safe, sustainable growing environment and ultimately do better as a result. Because when you think about all those middlemen dealing with farmers, many of which don't have education and, and the things that they need to be you know, viable in the commercial marketplace, when we were able to um, go directly to them, suddenly we're, we're bringing in fair trade and we're saying, okay, we're not going to pay you the commodity price of cotton because that's too low. That actually keeps you below the poverty line. We're going to pay you the living wage. So we're paying anywhere from 30% and way higher, uh, up to 3X um, the commodity price for cotton. But because we've built this very very succinct supply chain there's none of those middleman markups so what happens is the suppliers are making more money and the customer is paying less money because we've been able to suck all these like archaic profit uh, elements out of out of the supply chain and i know it's a little bit complicated to say but but it, it, it's it's truly the best of both worlds the growers the factory workers they make more um, we as a company still make money and the customer saves a ton Um, so it's kind of amazing. And it's, it's certainly not what we expected to find when we started the business. Um, but it's a huge part of, of the difference I think we're making in the world.
0: It certainly sounds like a win-win. Um, now where are you guys producing? Where are these farmers and, uh, these creators and how often do you have to get over there?
1: Well, someone on our team is there all the time and, and, uh, or, or nearly all the time. So, um, you know, Missy's probably there three to four times a year. I'm usually there two to three times a year, um, and and then our operations team is is there fairly often. So and
0: um, where is it? Yeah,
1: so it's in India. We actually produce um, the cotton farms are in the southern part of India, in states like uh, Andhra Pradesh and Orissa. And and what's unique about those areas is that genetically modified farming has been outlawed, or genetically modified seeds are not allowed. So what you if you think about you have these incredibly rural um areas that are very you know it's a 6 hour drive from the closest city right so when 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 you go Buckle up um, for for a long ride. But um, but what what's happened is, and and historically is, when when genetically modified farming is not allowed, access to cash crops also becomes very difficult. So their ability to make money um, and money is not you know in in those cases it's not for luxury items and things like that. This is for basic needs, education, food, um, food safety, uh, schools, and and medication, and 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 those sorts of things. So. Um, there was a, an NGO that that started working with a group of farmers, um, I guess about 15 years ago now, um, and and it was a, a cooperative called Chetna. And what they did is they helped people in these areas learn how to farm organically um, and then help them as a group sell into the marketplace. Um, you know, for years, they they were doing great work and they had tons of farmers from a human health standpoint, just, just really wanting to get involved. Um, but there wasn't commercial demand for the product because it was more expensive. And again, because the supply chains in this industry are, are really archaic. Um, so I, I discovered them on Google, like no joke, found them on Google and reached out when we were working on this business. And I was just, I felt a calling. I was so compelled by how different they were operating. Um, and today we're buying, you know, way more than than fifty percent of what they produce. Um, you know, we also now uh, source from uh, several other cooperatives that are ju- that's just like Chetna, um, and we're we're the largest consumer of fair trade organic cotton in the world um, at this point. And and so, being able to bring that demand to them um, has taken thousands, tens of thousands of people, um, and 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 really helped improve their economic situation as well as their. Their health and access to, um, you know, modern technology and, and modern medicine and modern education.
0: Now I have to ask because um, my husband's in design and advertising, but that doesn't mean that we would be a good fit to work together. What's it like working with your wife? How does that? How do you guys <laughs> make that work? I think everyone would be probably curious about that.
1: It's probably the number one question I'm asked, and 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 it's it's funny because. It's completely natural. So Missy and I started dating um, when we were juniors at Vanderbilt uh, at 19 years old, wow. right? So we've been together a pretty long time. Um, and, you know, I, I think that that with co-founders in general, there has to be an implicit trust. And one of the things that typically breaks apart co-founders is a sense of competition, right? Who's really the lead? Who's doing, you know, who's the face of the business and and, and so on and so forth. Um at the end of the day, Missy's win is my win, and my win is her win. And and you know we are in every literal way we're we're both striving for the identical thing, which is you know security for our family, setting a great example for our daughters, and 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 doing that sort of thing. It, it doesn't hurt the fact that we have very very different skill sets and practices. Um, as you know, you know me, um, and I'm sure you cannot imagine me designing anyone's bedroom, let alone my own. Um, and and you know missy brings uh, a lot of interior design expertise and and creativity and 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 so she looks after really every direct physical consumer touch point from our products themselves to our packaging um, you know to our retail stores and 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 oversees everything from a from a product design standpoint i have more of a marketing and traditional business background so uh, as missy likes to say i get to look after all of the things that aren't fun um, and, and but that's, you know, again, we're not we're not jockeying for position in terms of who gets to deliver financial reports to the board. Um, she, she makes me do that. And, uh, and and as much as I wish she would, <laughs> I'm just kidding. She's, that's not her skill set. Right. And, and, and at the end of the day, as she's on the floor working with factories, improving their efficiency, looking at different you know techniques and weaving techniques and, th- and things like that. That's her skill set. And, and, and so it's a great it's a great partnership.
0: And you guys have some uh, recent news to celebrate, right? You just closed on a round of funding from private equity firm L Catterton to the tune of was it a hundred million?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's a lot of money, Um, but it's it's a (laughs)
0: congratulations.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. You know, um, we're different than a lot of startups in that that we really didn't raise very much. uh, We didn't raise any venture money, and we had raised a little bit of of friends and family, which. In the truest sense of the world, were actually our friends and family. Um, so still
0: friends and family.
1: Th- they're still oh my gosh, they're <laughs> definitely friends and family now. Um, uh, you know, and and look, these are the people that they bet on Scott and Missy as much as they bet on on Bowl and Branch, and and so we're forever grateful there. Um, but here we are as a business. You know, we've 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 certainly um, grown to the point where. Um, you know, I don't really think of us as sort of a DTC startup anymore. You know, we're, we're far and away the largest online retailer of betting at this point. Um, and, and so um, our challenges become quite a bit different, right? We, we're we're now looking at scale. Um, and and what Catterton brings to the table, and, and again, all you have to do is look at their track record and portfolio companies. You know, they were early investors in Restoration Hardware, early investors in Peloton, and um, and uh, The Honest Company and, and a lot of brands that have um, transcended sort of like early startup phase and, and become true household names. Right. Um, and, and I think that's what they see in Bolin and Branch and and in and, and them. We see somebody that's a partner that that's going to help us get to the next level. And certainly um, the capital makes it all happen a whole lot faster.
0: Right. You've reached this level of maturity where you're ready to grow. So what does that entail? what um, What's next for you guys? Is it more stores? Are you going to go more into whole sale what's coming up
1: uh yes um so (laughs) and i I think
0: (laughs) um
1: so so you know i think we're we're beyond the day and age where um where we we think that just being available online um creates some sort of advantage the the reality is is that our customers they want to have our product wherever is most convenient for them to buy our product and to see our product and to feel our product so um you're going to see certainly a whole lot more bull and branch stores pop up. You'll see us working with um you know we we will we'll keep you guessing for now but but we have some pretty exciting news relative to wholesale and, and and those sorts of opportunities. Um our Amazon business has continued to be very very strong. Um so you know when We think about being an industry leader. Um, you know, from a from a brand standpoint, I think we are the industry leader at this point. Um, purely from an awareness standpoint and and intent, um, but availability and access is is sort of the next hurdle, and and that's where you're going to see us really um, really focus over the next uh, you know months and years.
0: So let's talk about Amazon. Um, you know, some DTC brands they shy away from. Away from them, they try to keep more control there's there's talk mm-hmm. of how it can be difficult um, you know losing some profits to to Amazon losing control over how how the brand is marketed that kind of thing. When did you guys start selling on their platform and how has that worked out for you?
1: We've been on Amazon um, the better part of a couple years now. Um, I think it boils down to philosophy and and my philosophy is. I don't ever believe that the limitations on a business should be a limitation that a customer has to face. So a lot of times it's, you know, brands may make up long stories about why they can't sell on Amazon. And, and you know, maybe it's a profits issue. Maybe they say they want to have control of the customer experience and those sorts of things. The reality is, is a being available on Amazon and a customer buying your product on Amazon means that they would prefer to shop on Amazon for whatever reason. Maybe it's because their credit cards are are stored there, whatever it happens to be. So, you know, when I think about the core operating system of our business, um, we can't let the implications of of our reality get in the way of the customer's access to the brand right a brand is is a social trust and once you once you create it and once you launch it um when customers love what you sell they are stakeholders they 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 have you know a big say in the game and and so um we found that that a lot of our customers are are thrilled to purchase on amazon many many customers are searching for bull and branch anyway on amazon so um you know, we might as well make sure that our products are available there, and and again, we still back it up with the same level of service that we do um, if someone were to buy off of our site or in one of our stores or through a partner. Um, but I I just think that the 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 way the you know retail industry is going, um, asking a customer to jump through a hoop to find your product uh, feels a little bit backwards to me.
0: Right. The reality is, customers today. Are completely hoop averse. They are used to getting things when they want it as as fast as they can, immediately. That that sense of immediate gratification. I mean, we all have that now. We've been trained to, right?
1: I mean, think about it this way, right? If um, if we find that, which I think we all believe is going to happen, that that you know, voice commands and is and, and voice is just going to become an incritic- a critical component of of commerce. Um, would it make sense for me to make sure that through Alexa you can buy Bull and Branch sheets or should I make an electronic device that only works with Bull and Branch that sits in people's kitchen? And how many people are going to put that on their counter? Nobody. Yeah,
0: how many devices do we need? Right,
1: nobody. Um, so, so adapting to, you know, the way consumers live is is really important for any retailer that's gonna gonna be around for a long time.
0: now, we have a few minutes left, but I wanted to talk about this new report that you guys have out. I think it's releasing uh, this week, right? Maybe today, your first annual impact report. Tell me about the decision to to have a report like that and kind of the the big things of what you guys discovered.
1: yeah, th- this is um, I think, from a, a personal standpoint, and and from the standpoint of our internal team, this has been a, a process and a project that we we've been working on for the better part of, of of this year. And, um, as we think about, you know, obviously we're not a public company, but if we were, we would put out an annual report. Um, and and we felt that as a private company, uh certainly the that one that's that's really doing things differently by putting out the results, um of, of the impact that, that we've been able to make, or our consumers have enabled us to make, um, we thought more than anything, it could really inspire an industry. Um, I'm a big believer that, that founders of, uh, certainly founders of, of startups, they have both, a, an opportunity as well as a responsibility to, um, just try to make things a little bit better, right? If you're going to go out and do something, you know, to, to ask consumers to believe in your brand, but, but, on the backside, not doing something good with the opportunity that disruption of a marketplace creates, it it, it feels like a missed opportunity for me. So, um, what we want to show is that by making a few small, but really important changes to the way in which our company operates and tracing that back and being very transparent with, with why and how we're making those decisions, when you start to see the level of human impact that a brand can make, um, I, I really hope that there are other founders out there that 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 take a, a pause and say, "Wow, you know what? With this opportunity of of creating new and engaging customers, if I do things a little bit different, I maybe choose the hard way on a few different things. We can we can have you know a really profound impact on the world that that is measured not only beyond the bottom line, but long after." Um, You know the company is at some point sold or merged or or invested in or anything like that. So that that's the emphasis there.
0: Did you make any adjustments based on what you found?
1: Um, No, I mean I I think that wasn't really the objective. But what we did do is um, we've pushed out some some commitments and and really challenges to ourselves internally um, to push it even further. Right to say we're we're not we've done some amazing things as a, as a company and again it's all because of our customers but um we can't stop we have to continue to challenge ourselves so one of the things as an example is we're really challenging ourselves to double our us production um, on the business and and if you know much about the textile industry a lot of textile manufacturing has left the United States, but but we want to support our local economy and and, and give people jobs and opportunities here just like we've done overseas. So um, that's a big lift, but we're going to do it and we're going to do it in the next year. Oh, wow. and, and so what you'll read is, is really strong commitments from us to continue to do the right thing, but also challenge ourselves to still be leaders within social enterprise.
0: So to be clear, you're going to try to source some production from the United States.
1: Yeah, we do currently. So, um, But but we want to double what we're already doing.
0: Great. Um, okay. So one last question. What's the secret to a good night's sleep?
1: Bowl and branch sheets. Um, th- but the truth is there's one secret. Most important thing you can do is regulate your temperature. So that means there are a lot of materials out there that do the opposite. I'll use a foam mattress as an example. The single worst thing I believe you could sleep on, um, it radiates heat. It insulates you. Um, if you have a foam like bed in the box, just, just go recycle it and get something better uh, because you're not sleeping (laughs) as well as you could. If you're hot chemically, you're not sleeping that well. So keeping yourself cool. and, And that's why we make sure all of our, all of our products regulate air really, really well. Nothing's better than cotton and, uh, and, and so, I mean, that's that's the secret to me.
0: Cotton pajamas.
1: Cotton everything.
0: Uh, well, Scott, thank you so much for taking the time. It was a pleasure having you.
1: Thanks so much.
0: That was Scott Tannen, founder and CEO of Brand, And I'm Adrian Pascarelli, the retail reporter at AdAge. I want to thank our producer, Max Sternlich, and invite you to subscribe to the Marketer's Brief podcast on your favorite player. We promise to keep it brief. Are at least short enough for your morning commute. Thanks for tuning in.